2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to look mainly at verses 18 through uh, 21. But uh, as you're doing that, <clears throat> there was a, a couple, not this couple, but a couple who had been married for 60 years. And throughout their life, they had shared everything. They loved each other deeply, and um, they hadn't kept any secrets from one another except for uh, a small shoebox that the wife kept in the, the top of her shelf in her, in her closet. And when she, they got married, she had put this box there and, and asked her su- husband, she said, look, don't ever look inside of this, this shoebox. And, uh, and he didn't. For, for 60 years, he, he, he respected this request. He even forgot about it until the day uh, when his wife was growing gravely ill. Um, he started to work through all the paperwork and all the things that need to be done when those occasions come. And he uh, got that box out and he remembered it and he actually took it to the, to, to the office or to the hospital. And he asked her if perhaps that might, might, might now be the time that we open this box. And she agreed. And so they opened up the box and they looked inside and the husband saw two crocheted dolls and a roll of $95,000. Yeah, the man was astonished. He was astonished at it. And so he looks to his wife and his wife told her husband, she said, uh, well, before we got married, my grandmother came to me and she said, she said that if there should ever be any arguments or any conflict that uh, you have, work as hard as you can. Work as hard as you can to reconcile uh, that argument, reconcile that conflict. And if you're unable to reconcile that conflict, then go and crochet. Just, just keep your mouth shut and crochet dolls. Okay. Well, as the man looked in that box, like tears began to come down his eyes and his love began to deepen for his wife because he began to realize that over all these 60 years, there's only been two arguments that they couldn't reconcile. Well, then he kind of turned to her and he said, well, well, and had the roll of money in his hands and he says, well, what's with this? And she kind of, Sheepishly said, well, every time I crocheted a doll, I took it to the craft store and sold it for five dollars. <laughs> Not as much had been reconciled as they thought, had it? I don't know how you guys deal with conflict and reconciliation, but uh, the reality is uh, there's one relationship that won't work with. And that's our relationship with God. Matter of fact, reconciliation with God is something that you and I actually cannot work as hard as we want for it. Matter of fact, we're actually unable to reconcile with God. But here's the good news. God, who is a God of justice, is also a God of love. And so he made a way and able to reconcile us to himself, despite whatever conflict or sin was in your life. And get this, not only did he reconcile us to himself, 
But here's the awesome part. I don't think we realize how awesome and what a privilege and honor this is. But he reconciles us to himself in order that you and I may take that message of reconciliation from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to a lost and dying world on its way to hell. That's a privilege. That's an honor. You and I who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, His person and work, we have been reconciled and we have been given the privilege to relay the message of reconciliation to the world. That's something that you and I should be honored to have. And we're going to talk about that today. Matter of fact, if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, we're going to jump in there. And here's what it says as we try to, first of all, grasp this message of reconciliation. It says this, first of all, Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Gave us that very ministry, that very service, that very message of how he reconciled us through Christ to himself. He's given that to us to go minister it to <clears throat> other people. Now, one of the questions we've got to ask here, first of all, though, is what are now all these things from God? What are these things? Well, if you jump back just to verse 17 and see the, the book of 2 Corinthians is, is written partly to, to, for Paul to defend his ministry. There are people who are claiming that just we're criticizing his ministry. And he, so he's defending his ministry and why he's doing what he's doing and what his message is. And so now he says, now all these things are from God. And well, one of these things, if we back up, it's a very familiar verse. It's uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, to be in Christ means we're to be identified with Christ, means that we're in spiritual union with Christ. We're in spiritual relationship with Christ. And it's because of that fact that God looks at us and we're acceptable to him because we're in Christ. He says this, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed and the new things have come. Old has passed and new things have come. As we are new creatures, we're not what we once were. I know some of you are going like right now, well, I feel like I once was before for Christ. But you're not. Something has changed inside of you. You've been given a new heart. You've been actually been given the very presence of God in you, His Holy Spirit. We're not the same old people. We're new creatures. Matter of fact, you say because, we, you know, because this is a progressive thing. You say, well, you know, I didn't get you saved and everything was right. It's not. We, we still battle. There's still that part of us that resides here, what we call the flesh, that knows how to sin, that operated that way for years. And those things are, are passing away, though. It says here, these things have come. This is in a perfect tense. That is, these new things have come. It refers to a past completed action. That is, you were saved, you were regenerated, you were born again. You become this new creature. But then it has not only this past action, but it has these ongoing abiding results. And so as new creatures in Christ, our identities have changed. We're, we're in union with Christ. And then we, we continue to grow. And the way that we used to think and do over time begins to change. You might think of it like this. You might think of it about like popcorn. You say, Matt, where are you going with this? Popcorn. I didn't know this, but did you know that popcorn pops due to the explosion of moisture? 
Do you know that? That is, every kernel of popcorn has moisture in it. And when you put the popcorn over the burner, or you guys remember way back in the days when you used to stick it in the oven, you had one of those things, and you would stick it in there because that's really, it, it, it did a lot slower than it does in our microwave. But as that heat would, would get into those popcorn kernels, what happens is the heat uh, heats up the moisture, creating steam. And as the steam rises inside the shell of the popcorn, it presses against the shell until the shell can't withstand the pressure anymore, and it begins to pop open splitting open. And once it was just a hard shell, a hard kernel, um, begins to increase in size and out comes this soft and fluffy material. That's what happens in popcorn. You didn't know that much went on, did you? Well, it's when we come to know Christ, when we're made new creatures in Christ, we who were once these hard kernels, we had hard hearts, God puts a new heart in us. It's as if he puts this new moisture in us. And then as the Holy Spirit who he gives us and the word of God begin to work, he kind of heats up that moisture and, and our hearts begin to grow and they grow and they grow. And as they grow, then, then that, that hard shell begins to bust and out of that comes, comes a new way that we look, the new way that we act, a new way that we think. That's kind of what it's like in this becoming a new creature Christ. And so when, when Paul writes here, when he writes here that these things have come, he's saying, hey, look, you're not the same guy. You're not the same lady that you were once. You're new creatures. And he says, let me show you, this is how it came about. Here's how you could be new creatures in Christ. Here's how the old things have passed away, and here's how new things have come and are coming. This is because they are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. This transformation became because God did something. He reconciled us to himself. Now, we've heard the term of reconciling. We think of reconciling with each other. But what does that really mean? What does it mean to be reconciled by God? Well, the word reconciled, and the reality is we're, we're familiar with terms like justification. We talk a lot about that, which just is this idea of being declared judicially righteous. Or we're familiar with terms like redemption, which has to do with the, the payment of our sin and, and taking us off the slave block of sin. And those have to do a lot more with payments and judicialness. Reconciliation has to do more with the relational side of salvation. Reconciliation literally means it's, it's the word that means to exchange or change. And here's what happens when it's used biblically in this context. What it's talking about is that change has happened between ourselves and God. That is, before God, Scripture tells us this in Romans 5, we were enemies. That is, before we came to know Christ, we were enemies of God. Do you know that? I didn't make it up. That's what Scripture says. We were enemies. Colossians tells us that we are hostile in mind. We were alienated from God. We had no peace with God. So as before Christ, here we were, and in between us was this alienation and this hostility, this separation from God. And so what happens is when He reconciles us, He takes us from being in that place of being enemies, alienated from God, and then he brings us into peace and relationship 
and fellowship with him. That's what happens. Or another way we might be able to say it is Robert McGee put it this way. It's, it's this idea. Those of us who were enemies are now friends of God. We were enemies, hostile to God. We're now friends in relationship with God. And this is important to us as believers. Because the reality is, is, is that oftentimes we don't really get this. Sometimes we, we feel like we can't get too close to God. Even though that we know that we're forgiven, even though that justification has happened, even though that we know redemption has happened, we sometimes think and feel that God is not wanting to get too close to me because, you know, I just, you know, the kind of closeness is for those who have just kept a better record. In reality, it doesn't matter what your record is. We were all enemies to God. We were all hostile. And God has reconciled us to be friends in relationship with him. Or you might be one of those who is constantly trying to earn approval from God. If I don't keep everything right, if I don't you know, keep working hard here, then God won't be on my side. Folks, because of God's reconciliation, you are approved. You are accepted. He wants relationship with you. Some of us have maybe have had some of those uh, relationships where you might have experienced folks forgiving you for something. You've, you've done something wrong and you were clearly wrong and they, they forgive you for it, but it stops there. They, they say, you know, I, I forgive you that, but they don't really want to have any relationship with you. They're kind of like, we'll see you. That's not so with God. He not only did he forgive us, release us of our debt to sin, but he says, come. Be my friend. Come. Have relationship with me. Walk with me. Fellowship with me. Well, what, what does the reconciling, or who does the reconciling, I should say? Well, look at the text again. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. It's not us. I don't know about you, I, 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 uh, I like watching westerns. Matter of fact, uh, how many of you guys ever watch MeTV? All right. I love it because on MeTV, thank you, somebody raised their hand, admitted it. Okay. But they have shows like Bonanza, all right, and Gunsmoke, all right. And then they have you some show on there called Johnny Rebel or something. I'm like, I've never seen that in my life, you know. And uh, I saw it on there, and there's these, these things. But if you notice, you watch cowboy movies and, and shows like that. You always kind of have these scenes where once old cowboy, he's, he's about to die. Or he's going to get hanged. And somebody will come to him and says, hey, have you made your peace with God? Or he'll come out and say, yes, I've made my peace with God. The reality is, unless what he meant by that is he's put his personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you, you, you can't make peace with God. We can't do anything to make peace with God in and of ourselves. It's God who has extended the offer of peace to us and reconciled us. Now, obviously, we return and receive that through faith, but it's God's work on our behalf that brings about peace with God. Christ is the agents, or it's the means of this peace. 
Look at this, that God was in Christ. It is in Christ he was reconciling the world in a sense of humanity in general. When he's talking about the world, not all the world is going to be saved. It's not. The reality is, though, his reconciliation is for all peoples of all ethnicities, all nations, tribes. The gospel is for all. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And get this, not counting the trespasses against them. The, the Greek word for counting was a word that was commonly used for calculating people's debts. And the reality is, how could God stop calculating our debt of sin against us? I mean, yes, he, he's seeking to reconcile us, but I mean, he can't just overlook our sin. He's a God of justice, and his justice demands payment be made. So how did he do this? Well, he did it through Christ. Look down with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. An awesome passage. Look, look down there at that with me. It says this, He made him who knew no sin, that is, Christ was absolutely, because he was God, was without sin. It says, He made him to be sin on our behalf. He, didn't, he wasn't a sinner. He didn't become a sinner. But it's that Christ put the sins of mankind upon him on our behalf. He took on these sins. So that we, and that is we, if we know from the broader context, who put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, might become the righteousness of God in him, that is Christ. It's kind of like this. If we think of this in the, the terms of reconciliation, um, it's kind of like this. Here is God, all right? And then this is us. Here's God who is absolutely holy and perfect and did nothing to, uh, to cause us to sin or alienate us from sin, but it was us who rejected God. And since we were enemies of God, since we were hostile in mind of him, it's as if we had our, our fist up to God like this because we reject him. But God is not only a God of justice, but he is a God of love. And because he loved us, what he did is he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to us. In a sense, he took us on. He bore our hostility or enmity, and he took it to the cross for us. And so, therefore, because we can be viewed in Christ, this God can see that this has been covered, and he can reconcile us to himself. And we can have a relationship with him because of what was accomplished in Christ for us. It's good news, isn't it? Pretty awesome picture that you and I have not only had our sins forgiven, but we're called to relationship. And this is done through his the death. Look what uh, Romans five ten says. Because not only did Christ just bear those sins, but he died for those sins. You got to understand the separation here, the separation that Christ experienced. Look what the text says in five ten Romans five ten. For if while we were enemies, that was our former relationship, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. He died in our place. He actually experienced the separation somehow, some way, from the Father as He bore those sins for us. Having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life, Romans 5.10 goes on to say. It is said years ago in a, a western city, uh, a husband and a wife were estranged and they chose to separate. They chose to separate. It just so happened their, their, their son had, had already 
passed away. And so on one uh, business trip, though they had gone away and lived in different cities, the husband came back to go visit and visit the, the, the site of their, their son's grave. And he went there to reminisce about, about his son. And as he was reminiscing about his son and as he was thinking upon him, he heard these footsteps behind him. And then he looked back and there was this estranged wife. And as they looked at each other, the first impulse was actually to, 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 to go the other way. But as they both stopped and as they thought about the death of their son and they, as they looked at the burial grave of their son, before long they reached out and they grabbed each other's hands. And they were reconciled as they reflected on the death of their son. So too, you and I, although God did nothing to alienate us from himself, his, his justice actually demanded, though, that, that we be separated from him. And as we willingly rejected God, it's through the death of his son that, that God extends his hand to us and offers peace. And if you and I will repent and take his hand by faith, we can be reconciled. My question to you today is, have you been reconciled to God? Has there been a place in your life when you've come to realize that you're a sinner in need of a Savior and realize I can do nothing to save myself and you've repented and turned and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Until you do that, you cannot make peace with God. You must be reconciled through faith in Christ, in Christ alone. Now, here's where, for us who believe, it gets even more amazing to me. Because not only does God reconcile us, but get this. He brings us in relationship with himself, and then he says, look, I want you, I want you, Matt, and I want you, every believer, to be a part of my plan and relaying this message of reconciliation to others, to others who need salvation. I don't know about you, but that's, that's a pretty awesome thing. I mean, just take some time to, to, to think about that. Look what it says there in the text. Verse 18 says, He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Or verse 19, he says, And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation or the truth of reconciliation. He's committed it to us. He's, he's laid it upon us. So we might not have realized this, but that, that's, that's a part of what we're called to do. Matter of fact, who are the ministers in the church here? This is a trick question. Who is? Who, you guys got to get a little more enthusiastic than that. Who are the ministers in this church? Yeah, if you are a believer in Christ, you are a minister. And part of your ministry, because I'm not just the minister. My job is to equip you to do ministry. All right? You are the ministers. And part of your ministry is to minister the message of reconciliation to a lost and dying world. It's your job along with my job. We're in this together, okay? We're doing this together. See, we, were not, we don't do anything. We don't serve to be saved. But when we're saved, we're called to serve. We're called to minister. 
Look what the text says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. Just jump up there a few verses with me. He said, He died for all, so that they who live may not, might no longer live for themselves, but Him who died and rose again on their behalf. He didn't call us to come, get saved, and do whatever you want to do. All right? He called us to repent, put our faith and trust in Christ, and live for Him. And that's good, folks. All right? There's life in that. There's eternal purpose in that. There's joy when we live for the one we are created to live for. What I want you to think as we talk about this, because anytime we talk about evangelism or sharing the gospel, it sometimes comes away feeling like duty, doesn't it? I don't know, sometimes it does to me. And it's, it is a duty. There is a duty part to it. But I want you to also think of it as a privilege as well. That is, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of all creation has determined that you and I are to minister the message of his reconciliation. Why me? Why did you give me that honor? He does. Look what it says there in verse 20. I want you to notice something there. It says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Notice that first of all. Does it, what does it say? We might be ambassadors. If you feel like being ambassadors, if you've got time to be ambassadors, what does it say? What, what, no, what does it say? We are. We are ambassadors. That's, that's our calling. That's the position that we've been given. And it's, it's, a, it's not only is it a privilege to share it, but it's, 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 a, it's, it's a sense that a oh, privilege of a title that he gives us. It's a high calling to be an ambassador. He says, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though Christ were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. First of all, what is an ambassador? Well, one commentator put it this way. An ambassador is at once a messenger and a representative. He does not speak in his own name. He does not act on his own authority. What he communicates is not of his own opinion or demands, but simply what he has been commanded to say. And see, Paul calls us ambassadors because as long as we are living for Christ or, or as we live here on this earth, we're to be a representative of Christ. We're to be a messenger of him. And that is we are to be speaking for him. As long as we are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, the promises of the gospel, and we are urging people to be reconciled to himself, it is as if God is appealing through us. There's authority in that, as long as we stick to the message. God is appealing. How, how amazing is that, that the creator of the universe would want to make an appeal through you and I? But he has. It's a privilege. And it's an honor. We need to look at it that way. I've been to the American Embassy in the Philippines, or I'm sorry, I've been outside of it, and I've seen it's a huge complex, a huge complex of of an embassy there. And everything needed from the American standpoint is inside that building. Because when it speaks, it it speaks on behalf of the government. So so suppose someone in the Philippines, uh, a world leader or the president there wants to speak to uh, our president. He says, you know, let's have some negotiations. Well, the president can say this, I already have an ambassador of our country there. You can speak to him. It, what he would be implying is that to talk to an ambassador is the same thing to talk to me. 
I don't know about you, that's a pretty amazing thing. That I can talk to people and it's as if God is speaking through me when I share the message of reconciliation. That's a privilege. It's authority we've been delegated. We need to look at it that way. But here's the deal. If you're like me, what what is it that keeps our mouth from being shut? I mean, to be an ambassador, we have to open our mouths. We have to speak. What is it? As I thought about this and I thought about my own struggles, here's some of the things that I came up with. First, one of the things that keeps us from being an ambassador is this fear and embarrassment. I mean, if I'm honest with myself, there are times I have not shared the message of reconciliation with people because I was afraid or I was embarrassed. And fortunately, when I was reading and doing some studying, I read of a, uh, one of the scholars and pastors that I respect. Here's what he wrote. He was honest about it. That gave me courage, gave me comfort, and it called me to something higher. He says, when I was a young pastor, I, I, it used to embarrass me somewhat to make visits and confront people with the claims of Christ, he wrote. Then it came to me that I was a privileged person, an ambassador of the King of Kings. There was nothing to be embarrassed about. In fact, the people I visited should have been grateful that one of Christ's ambassadors came to see them. See, that's, I don't think we get that. Somebody, someday everyone's going to know that what we shared about Christ is true because they're all going to have to meet that King of Kings someday. There's nothing to be embarrassed of. second thing is, as I thought about the fear aspect of that, I kind of realized, you know, the only thing I really fear is just being embarrassed. Because the reality is, we here in America, we don't have to fear death for sharing our faith. And I started thinking about those who do face death for sharing their faith. And I, and I come to think what I believe that really moves them to know that despite they may face death, they can share their faith is because they really know where their home truly lies. That their home is not here. And so regardless of this, they, they face faith or death, they know their home is there in heaven. Matter of fact, uh, while Secretary of State George Shultz serving under President Reagan, he used to keep a large globe in his, his office. And so when the ambassadors would come, either they were coming back or they were being sent, he would always interview them. And he would always ask them. He, would, he had this final test. He would say, all right, I want you to go over to that globe, and I want you to point to me unerringly. You've got to let me know right where your, your, your country is. And so they would go over there, they would spin a globe, and then they, they would try to do that. Well, on a different occasion, a friend and a, a former senator, uh, majority leader, Mike Mansfield, was appointed as ambassador to Japan. And he came in and he was put to the same test. And so he went over and he spun the globe. And then when he put his finger down, he put it squarely on the United States of America. And he says, that's my country. He didn't point to the other countries or the country he was going to. He says, that's my country. And Schultz later told this to a, a, a news reporter. He says, I have told that story to all the ambassadors going out ever since. I said, never forget you're over there in that country, but your country is the United States. You're there to represent us. 
take care of our interests and never forget it. And you're representing the best country in the world. And here's the idea, folks. Our country is not really this country here. Our country is that country in heaven. And we've been called to represent that country. We've been called to represent those interests, the interests of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's what we represent. That's what we speak for. And we must never, ever forget that that, not here, is where our home is as ambassadors for Christ. That should should get an amen. Don't forget that. Another way that we lose sight of not being ambassadors, I think we forget who was our ambassador. I want you to stop for a moment. Who was it in your life who had the courage, the conviction, or just the motivated by love to come and share with you the message of reconciliation? Mine was a whole host of Sunday school teachers and my mother. And one day, because I had heard this gospel message over and over, I went to the side, I went up to her bedroom, and I said, I want Jesus in my heart. She went ahead and showed me how to put faith and trust in Christ. Thereby being reconciled then offering me the opportunity now where I have a chance to relay the message of reconciliation to others. Remember who was an ambassador to you. Now, let's close with this. How do we function as an ambassador where, where God has, has you? I mean, if your citizenship is in, is, is in heaven, he does have you here. As a matter of fact, for most of us, our, our, our area of ambassadorship is right here in the Waco area. So how do you function in that way? What are some practical steps to take what we're learning here and to begin to put it into play? First one is this. Identify the people in your areas of ambassadorship. Is I would challenge you to take an index card or take a piece of paper and make four columns. In one column, just put family. In another column, put your geography, your neighborhood. In, in, a, in another column, put your, your workplace. In another column, put recreation. And under each of those, begin to ask the Lord, God, who might be a person here that you're calling me to be ambassador to and share the message of reconciliation? Just start there. Just identify some, someone. Second, do this. Pray for them then. Just take that list and just pray. Just pray for them. Third, cultivate a relationship with them. Get to know them. Value them for who they are and the, the person they, they are. Then ask other people to pray for you. Colossians 2 verses, or actually Colossians 4 verses 2 through 6, Paul asked the believers there, he says, pray for me that a door might be opened for the word. As a matter of fact, one of the things that we ought to be doing in our small groups and our gatherings is we ought to say, hey, here's somebody I want to pray, I want to be sharing Christ with. How, how, you got to pray for me. Pray that God will open that door so wide I can't miss it. All right? So wide I just stumble through it. All right? Pray that God will open that door. The third thing, or fifth thing is we've got to know the message of reconciliation. The message that I'm sharing with you. You might just share that message by telling your personal story of how you come to, came to Christ. Or a way that sometimes that, that uh, I share, the five points I share with guys that I'm discipling is this, all right? It's this message right here. First of all, there was good news. The good news was this, that God desired to have a relationship. He created you for a relationship with him, all right? But there was bad news. The bad news was this, that we sinned, and because of that sin, we were separated from God. And the bad news gets worse because the reality is we can do nothing to make peace with God. But there's good news. 
Jesus Christ, or God, who, who loved us, sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to come, die in our place. And if we repent and turn and put our faith and trust, and this is the urgent news, if you put your faith in Him, He will reconcile things. You will be reconciled. That's the message of reconciliation right there. It may be that way, it may be another way, but know how to share the message of reconciliation. Also, to go share it. And then lastly, this one is not up on here, but it says this, depend upon the Spirit. You have not been given a spirit of timidity, but you've been given one of power and strength and discipline. It is the Holy Spirit, the ability to be able to share Christ without fear and embarrassment with others. It ultimately comes when we're depending upon the Holy Spirit to work through us. It's not of ourselves. And there's one other thing I want to share with you. It's in 2 Corinthians. It's just move up to verse 14 with me. It's this. What motivates us to live this out? Verse 14 says this, For the love of Christ controls us. It constrains us. It compels us. It's not talking about our love for Christ here. Remember, you read the rest of the context. What it is, it's Christ's love for us that He died in our place, was separated from the Father, for our sins. That's what ought to love us. That's what ought to move us. Is the love and appreciation for the love Christ had for us. When Hudson Taylor was director of the China Inland Missions, he, he would often interview candidates for a mission field and he would ask them on occasions, what was their motivation for service? And they, they would say, well, I, I just, I, I want to obey God's commands, or I want to preach the gospel to every creation, or I want to go because millions are perishing for Christ. And he would sit down with them and he would say, you know, those are all good motives. Those are all, those are all some good reasons, I should, he would say. But those reasons will fail you when testings come and trials and tribulations and possible death. But one motive that will sustain you in trial and testing is the love of Christ. Matter of fact, another missionary was asked this in Africa. He was once asked if he really liked what he was doing. His response was this, do I like this work? He said, no. My wife and I do not like dirt. We have reasonable, refined sensibilities. We do not like crawling into vile huts through goat refuse. But as a man to do nothing for Christ, he does not like God pity him if not. Liking or disliking has nothing to do with it. We have orders to go and we go and love constrains us. Love compels us. The love of Christ for us moves us. And here's the deal. As we deepen, as we will do here in a moment through communion, as we deepen appreciation for this love and as we grasp it more, the amazing thing is we turn and we love Christ. And as we love Christ, what happens in the overflow of that is we begin to love other people. So we get to move to share with them the message of love, which is the message of reconciliation. May the thing that move you and I to share the ministry of reconciliation with others is the deep and abiding love that was displayed to us through Christ's sacrificial death in our place. May that move us to relay the message of reconciliation. If you would, bow your heads. In a moment, we're going to take communion. And one of the purposes of communion is to give thanks. Another, I think, a reason for the the purpose of communion 
It should to be deepened and to magnify the understanding of the great love that Christ had for us to offer himself up. So as we prepare for communion, I want you to think, I want you to ask yourself, I want you to ask the Lord, I should say, Lord, help me to grow in the depth of the understanding of your love for me. God, I just pray with my brothers and sisters in Christ here that, Lord, as we, that as we begin to take part in this communion, that you will do just that. That as we look at the bread and as we look at the wine, we'll be reminded of your body and your blood that was given and shed for us. And, Lord, help us to deepen our understanding of your love and then thereby deepen our affections for you and your purposes. In Jesus' name.